Reading is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Thanks, Joel, for that wonderfully clear reading of God's Word. It's almost as if I don't have to preach. <laughs> now you don't get away that easy. Um, I want to begin with a, a bit of a sort of, just a sort of recognition. Um, this is the last in our sermon series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we've left a talk on the gifts of the Spirit deliberately until the end. Lots of churches, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, focus in on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've deliberately left this topic until the end. All of us, we recognize, come from different backgrounds and uh, experiences when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. Uh, maybe you aren't a Christian yet, and you're wondering, what are these things called the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you come from a background that's been a bit more conservative, a bit more reformed, and really the only gift of the Spirit that you've been exposed to is, is the gift of preaching. Uh, when I arrived in Scotland, it was quite a shock to realize how highly people regarded the gift of preaching in some churches in Scotland. I also value the gift of preaching, you'll be surprised to know, um, but not quite as highly as some of these people valued it, because it was almost as if this was the gift above all other gifts. And then people in those churches, when I talked to the ministers in those churches, were surprised when other people didn't think they had gifts, because they elevated the gift of preaching to such a degree that everything else was second best. Now, we've also got people in Peace and Jesus who come from a much more charismatic background. They bring their own chandeliers to church every Sunday, and they leave disappointed. So we've got this tension between some people in the room for whom we're too charismatic, some people in the room 
for whom we're not charismatic enough, and some people who can't spell the word charismatic <laughs> and don't know what it means, and that's fine. So I just want to acknowledge that as we dive into this subject over the next 20 minutes or so, that we're all coming from different points. We're all being, we've all been shaped by our experience, and for some of us, it may well have been a damaging experience to do with the Holy Spirit, and in particular with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But my hope and aim is that as we go through the next 20 minutes, there might be some healing that that passage spoke about, and there might be a new openness for the gifts that God wants to give and distribute amongst us and then use in the church, but also in the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you that together we are the body of Christ, together with all our brothers and sisters in Edinburgh, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom and around the world. And thank you that you do give gifts to your children. And we pray this morning that you might help us to have an openness, no matter what our past influences and teaching has been, that whether it's been from a, a more reformed background or a very charismatic background, that you might open us up to what your word says and to what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the buzzwords of our society and our culture is the word spirituality. If you go into a bookshop, where you can still go into a bookshop, if you try Googling the word spirituality, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of references that come up to do with spirituality. It's interesting that if you Google it, as I did this week, what often comes up are images or words or courses or books associated with success or achievement. Spirituality is a very, very popular subject in our society. Spirituality sells in all sorts of different ways. But the fascinating thing is that very few people can actually define what spirituality is. It might be on a school curriculum. It might be in your thinking. But very few people can actually say this is spirituality. Because it means different things to different people. So for some people, spirituality equals climbing a mountain or bagging a Monroe. For some people, it's going to a yoga class. For other people, it might be going to a concert. So if you were to speak to many of the people at Glastonbury this weekend, they would describe it as a spiritual experience as they watch Paul McCartney or Noel Gallagher or Bruce Springsteen or Dave Grohl, and they wondered how Paul McCartney was still standing, uh, really, basically, after uh, two and a half hours in a concert of playing his own songs. If you talk to the people who were in the crowd, they would probably describe Glastonbury as a spiritual experience. And one of the phenomena of the last 20 or 30 years is that in the UK, in Scotland, we've become less religious, 
So fewer and fewer people are attending church. When I moved to Scotland 26 years ago, it was about 15, 16% who were in church regularly on a Sunday. Now it's down to about 5% of the population who are in church on any given Sunday. But the fascinating thing is that as we've become less religious, we have not become less spiritual. And in fact, many people would say that if you look back over the last 30 years, we became aware, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, that we're not just rational or economic beings, but we're social beings, and we're emotional beings, and we're psychological beings, and we're spiritual beings. So although we've become less religious, we haven't become less spiritual. But at the same time, one of the phenomena that's also occurred is when people do Vox Pops interviews, surveys of people on the street, and when they say to them, do you associate church with spirituality? Very few people do. Now that is on us as the church. That whatever people may think about the church, they don't necessarily associate spirituality with church. They may think of other words to do with church, but they don't think of the word spirituality. Now, we can debate over coffee why that is, but that is a fact of where we are in our culture and our society. Now, the Apostle Paul was writing to a church that found itself in a context that was as confusing when it came to the term spirituality as the one that you and I live in now. First century Corinth had everything going on there, and the church in Corinth had arguments about everything. So if you read through First and Second Corinthians, you'll see that the church in Corinth argued about leadership, marriage, water baptism, spirit baptism, whether you could eat food offered to idols, spiritual gifts, eschatology, that is when people thought Jesus would return. They argued about the resurrection. They argued about the cross. They argued about how and when you should take communion. And people say, I wish we could be more like the New Testament church. Well, the church in Corinth argued about everything, and that's why Paul wrote his letters. And first century Corinth was a hothouse of spiritual beliefs, opinions, and experiences. And that's why, in that reading that Joel read so well for us a few moments ago, Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 by actually saying this. Now about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, the NIV, the version that we use, translates it as spiritual gifts. It does that because Paul then goes on to speak about spiritual gifts. There's only one problem. He doesn't actually say that in the original. The word uh, that is translated by spiritual gifts actually is is, uh, pneumatikoi. It's, It's about spiritual things or spiritual matters or people of the spirit or spirituality. So what Paul is saying is, now about spirituality, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, some people do think 
it could be gifts of the Spirit because he goes on to talk about gifts of the Spirit. But probably what Paul is addressing is this general idea of spirituality or people of the Spirit or spiritual things. And in first century Corinth, that pagan background that Paul refers to in verse 1 was pretty wild and very wacky. The mystery religions of first century Greece made even the most way out cult or um, church or whatever just seemed tame by comparison. And in first century Corinth, the more extreme and the more bizarre and the more wacky the spiritual experience, the more authentic it was. And this is a world where people were used to having uh, trances or speaking out with oracles or giving prophetic messages. That's the background that the first century church in Corinth finds itself in. They were well used to that because that was what was going on all around them. But Paul says you've been led astray to what he refers to as mute idols in verse 2. You've had all these spiritual experiences, he says, before you became followers of Christ, but actually they were leading you just to mute idols. And I want to talk to you about spirituality and spiritual things, or what people of the Spirit actually look like. And so he gives them in the next few verses five or six basic principles. First one, verses two and three, true spirituality, Paul says, is about Jesus. People in our society, and if we're honest, some people in our churches, are very happy to talk about God. The problem comes when we talk about the person of Jesus. Our society is very happy to talk about God, even if it's a God of their own creation or their own imagination. The sticking point comes, or the challenging bit comes, when you and I start to speak about the person of Jesus. Because all of a sudden, that becomes a bit more divisive. Because Jesus doesn't allow people to dismiss him just as a good religious teacher or a nice man because he claimed to be God. And Paul reminds the Corinthian church that true spirituality, a spirituality that comes from the Holy Spirit that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, always looks like always sounds like and points people to the person of Jesus. True spirituality always looks like, sounds like, and points people to the person of Jesus. When my dad was a, a spiritualist for 16, 17 years, I used to have long discussions with him about spirituality. My dad would have more spiritual experiences before breakfast than most of us have in a lifetime. And they were real, and they were authentic, and I saw some of them. But they didn't look like Jesus, and they didn't point people to Jesus, and they didn't sound like Jesus, because the source of them wasn't Jesus. It's not a question of how vivid the experience. The Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus 
in the first century, by definition, was saying that nobody else was Lord. It wasn't Caesar. This was almost a treasonable statement to say Jesus is Lord. That's why it was risky to be a Christian in the first century. Because that acclamation, Jesus is Lord, effectively was a death sentence upon yourself. Because you were saying that Caesar was not in charge of you. For us, it's the same as saying our leader is not Boris Johnson, it's not Keir Starmer, it's not Nicola Sturgeon, it's not Joe Biden, it's not even Vladimir Putin. Jesus is Lord. And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that he has our first allegiance, that he has our loyalty, and we belong to his kingdom before any other place that we belong. Second thing that Paul says is that true spirituality is diverse, but it's unifying, verses 4 to 7. Listen again to those words that Joel read in a really helpful way. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now again, true spirituality is always given for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the building up and encouragement of the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, used in the right way, at the right time, will always build up and encourage people. They will not tear people down. So if you've ever been on the receiving end of a, someone using a gift of the Holy Spirit, which has not pointed people to Jesus, or left you feeling encouraged or built up, if it doesn't sound like Jesus, if it doesn't look like Jesus, if it doesn't point people to Jesus, it probably wasn't Jesus. Now, according to the Bible, there are three sources of spiritual power or experiences. There's the Holy Spirit, there's human beings, and there's the demonic. I've encountered the demonic... But most of the time when I see people misusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's actually just coming from them. It doesn't mean that they're bad people, but they're just this, a bit of them, and there's a bit of me, always, in the way in which you and I use spiritual gifts. Even now, there's a bit of me. In the, I mean, I know, I'm giving you the definitive talk on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you're entitled to your opinion, but it's wrong. But there's a me, there's always going to be something of the preacher or something of the prophet or something of the evangelist or something of the prayer or something of the person with the gift of service or hospitality or administration. Whatever spiritual gift, there will always be something of the person in them and the way in which those gifts are used. They will never be 100% of the Holy Spirit because we've got mixed motives. But the way in which the spiritual gifts are used is as important as when they're used. Again, I'm going to share with you a theological, mind-blowing insight 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 comes after 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and before 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is why they pay me the big bucks. That chapter on love that most of us have heard at a wedding was not written in the context of marriage. It was written in the context of how the spiritual gifts should be used. It's a deliberate sandwich with two bit chapters on the gifts of the Spirit with the, the filling in the middle being love. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I am a clanging cymbal, a gong, I'm worth nothing. The way in which the gifts of the Holy Spirit are used is as important as when and where and who. And just as there is submission in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there should also be a spirit of submission and service in the way that the gifts of the Spirit are used. There is no hierarchy or league table when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those people that I met when I first moved to Scotland, and I speak as a preacher, are wrong when they elevate the gift of preaching or teaching above every other gift. Because all the gifts of the Spirit are equally valuable and at different times useful. Because Paul says in verse 7, there's variety, but there is equality. One of the things that we do as a church and have done for many years now is run a course called the Network Course. It's the best tool that I've found in nearly 30 years of helping people discover what their spiritual gifts are. Uh, it's now out of date. You can't get it anymore. And we're going to have to rewrite the course uh, and uh, redo it ourselves. But it's, it's helpful because every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift. So if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And we are committed to helping you find what your gift is. You probably have two or three spiritual gifts, major ones. And again, that's one of the reasons that we run the network course, is to help people discover what their gifts are. That's why one of our sort of slogans at P's and G's is this whole thing of pray, serve, and give. Uh, we devised it and only afterwards realized that it was PSG, P's and G's. That was an entire coincidence. I think the first time we used it, it was praise, give, and serve. And somebody went, hang on, if we switch it, it goes P's and G's. And we thought, oh, that's genius. No one will ever notice that because we didn't. Um, but the network course encourages people to find out what your gifts are. And we would love for everybody to be praying, everybody to be serving, and everybody to be giving. But in order to serve and give of yourself, you need to know what your gifts are. Now, very helpfully, the network course warns of three dangers around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first is elevation. What those ministers that I first met when I moved to Scotland were doing, when you elevate one gift, probably the gift that you have, above everybody else's gift. So it might be preaching or teaching or prophecy or evangelism or faith, here in Corinth, it was the gift of speaking in tongues. I'm from Manchester. I say that word in an odd way, tongue, okay? But the gift of praying, speaking in tongues. Now you've heard it. You cannot get your mind around it, but I'm speaking it differently. 
But there is a language. Paul says there are two gifts of speaking in tongues. If I speak in the tongues of men, that's glossolalia, or angels, angelolia. So there's a praise language that some people are given, which is, is an angelic language where people sing in the spirit, but there's also a glossolalia, a human language or, or, or people speaking, when you can pray or intercede. Sometimes you might have a prophecy and you speak out a word in a tongue, and then somebody else interprets it in English. Without the being interpreted, that gift of speaking out prophetically is useless. There needs to be an interpretation. The church in Corinth, because it was so used to people speaking in tongues, because it was part of the pagan religion that they came from, and there are other people who speak in tongues, Muslims. Some Muslims pray in tongues. So the gift itself is not necessarily exclusively Christian, but the way it's used points people to Jesus, sounds like Jesus, and looks like Jesus. So that's elevation. Secondly, this projection, when you think that everybody should have the same gift as you. So it's a bit like Mark saying, Dave, you should be able to play guitar and lead worship as well as I do. And every Sunday, Mark presses a guitar in my hand and expects me to become the next Dead Sheeran. Wouldn't that be great? Because that would be a fantastic money earner for the church. But the reality is, I don't lead, you won't believe this, but I used to lead worship. I used to do youth work, and I used to do children's work. But Nate and Rachel and Mark do it far better than I ever did. Projection, when you think that everyone should have the same gift as yours. Third one, and this is quite common if I'm honest, in the Scottish church, is rejection. God gives you a gift, and you go, yeah, I'm not sure I like that one, or I'm not sure it's really spiritual. People who often say this uh, are people with the gift of administration, the gift of service, or the gift of hospitality. They will quite often, over the years, I've heard people with those three gifts say, yeah, but it doesn't seem very spiritual. People used to pray that I would receive the spiritual gift of administration. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people prayed that I would receive the spirit, and I've got better over the years. But there are people for whom it's just natural. Our operations team, it's just natural to them, and they think it's nothing. It's not. Because what you don't realize when you have a spiritual gift is there are people who would give their eye teeth to give what you have been given, and vice versa. So elevation, projection, and rejection. And by the way, if you think that God's given you the wrong gift, what does that say about your view of God? Dot, dot, dot. Fourthly, there's a creative variety of gifts and expression of the same gifts, verses 7 to 11. There are nine gifts lifted here. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, not healing, gifts of healings, different types of healings, miraculous powers, usually thought to be exorcism, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. Other lists found are in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4. They're not exhaustive. 
Plus, different people will use different gifts in different ways at different times because of their personality, their context, and experience. But basically what Paul is saying in verses 7 to 11 is our God is a God of unbounded creativity. God gives different gifts to different people in different ways and different times. Somebody once put it this way, don't make a doctrine out of your experience. Let God be as original with other people as he has been with you. Fifthly, gifts are for service, not entertainment. Spiritual gifts are to be used for the encouragement of the church and the world. They're there to extend and demonstrate the kingdom of God. When John Wimber first came to this country in the mid-1980s, I used to go to some of his conferences, I used to work for UCCF when I was sound, and I was asked to go and check out John Wimber to check whether he was kosher. It wasn't the word that UCCF used, but that was the gist of what they meant. And Wimber would say, we're going to have a clinic, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. But the whole point and purpose of these gifts is that they're not used or primarily to be used in the church. They're supposed to be used in the world. And I can guarantee that at that moment, 98% of the people at the conference went, Kachung, we'll just do them in church. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be used in the world. You get to practice in the church where it's safer, but they're supposed to be used in the world to demonstrate the kingdom. Church is not a stage on which to perform, and neither are spiritual gifts, toys or opportunities for showing other people how spiritual or special we are. I don't know about you, but I marveled when uh, the tragedy of the Grenfell fire occurred five or six years ago in the way in which churches, clergy, and in particular Bishop Graham Tomlin responded to the fire. They were motivated by love and compassion. They listened, they cared, they prayed, and they wept with people. And what was the first place that people went to? It was the local church. The local church became the place of refuge. The local church became the place where the emergency services relocated. The local church became a hub of compassion. As some of you know, uh, last week I was in Romania seeing World Vision's response to people uh, fleeing from the Ukraine in the situation there. That's um, a sort of porter cabin, uh, which is at the, the hub, the refugee hub, uh, in the center of Bucharest. There are now over 6 million people who have been displaced and 80,000 refugees in Bucharest. It was humbling, it was heartbreaking, and it was deeply inspiring. There was a Roman Orthodox church led by their priest, Constantine, who have given shelter to 150 people from Ukraine. But it also struck me that it was a black Zimbabwean, that's him there, called appropriately Gift, that's his first name. It was a black Zimbabwean and a woman from Guatemala who World Vision have called from their offices in Zimbabwe and Guatemala to come and coordinate the next phase of the response. And it was a beautiful picture for me of the worldwide church responding to the situation that's unfolding and has unfolded in Ukraine and in the nations around. Because in Guatemala and in Zimbabwe, they've lived through crises like this before, and they've got expertise that Europeans haven't got. 
But what also struck me as I thought about Grenfell, and as I thought about the situation in Bucharest, is that here were people using their spiritual gifts, and their gifts were hospitality, and mercy, and service, and administration, and wisdom, and giving, and leadership. And what struck me was that those gifts in those contexts were those ones that very often people were, sa were saying, and have done for years in churches, oh, it's not really a spiritual gift. But those were the gifts that were the most valuable and that were needed the most. Finally, the Holy Spirit comes to energize us for service. Again, that quote from Michael Green, the comforter comes not in order to make people comfortable, but to make them missionaries. Spiritual gifts are not toys or long service medals. They're not rewards for loyalty like nectar points or air miles. The more often you come to church or the longer you've been in church doesn't mean that you get more spiritual gifts. The whole point is that they're called charisma. And the word charis means grace or gift. They're freely given. And we need to somehow get out of the mentality that we earn spiritual gifts. It's not like Christmas or birthdays, when if you're well behaved in the weeks leading up, you know, Jesus is not checking to see whether you're naughty or nice. He's not checking his list. That's somebody else who does that. But it's a gift. It's not earned. It's given and received. Andrew Wilson is a church leader down south. On some points, I would disagree with him. But he pointed this out in one of his books that I read this week. He said, whatever we may say about the church in Corinth, five things apply to every Christ follower in the church in Greece in AD 55. Firstly, you had been baptized or drenched in the one spirit. Secondly, you'd been given the one spirit to drink. And if you drink or are drenched, you know about it. We were at North Berwick yesterday afternoon. Kathy got out of the car just as it started to rain. She got drenched. She knew about it. She was absolutely soaked through. I was in the car. I was in the dry. I was quite smug until she got back in the car and got me wet. So you'd been baptized or drenched in the one spirit. You had some gift or gifts or manifestations of the spirit for the common good. You had not, as an individual have all those nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you understood that in the church in Corinth, all nine gifts were manifested. And then here's the challenge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says to them, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And my question for you, and my question back at me, is do we eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Because to a church that was argumentative, a church that was mucking up all sorts of things, Paul says to them not to stop searching for the spiritual gifts, even though they were using them in the wrong way. He says to them, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And my question for you and for me this morning is, do we eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit? If you're able, please stand.
And maybe as we stand, you want to just to pray, just to close your eyes, and just to reflect on these questions. What are the gifts that God has given to you? How are you using them in this service? If you don't know what your gifts are, how are you going to find out? If you know what your gifts are, are you using them for the common good? Are you at times guilty of one of those three temptations of elevation, projection, or perhaps more commonly, rejection, when it comes to the gift of the Spirit or the gifts that God has given to you? And are you eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit? Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives good gifts to his children. That you give and still give your gifts to your church so that we might demonstrate the kingdom. Father, where we've been fearful, where we've been hurt, where we've been reluctant, we ask your forgiveness. And we ask for healing in this whole area. If we've been given a gift and haven't sought to exercise it or develop it, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to do that. And just in the quiet now, we ask, Lord, for you to send your Holy Spirit again to impart your gifts to your church. Holy Spirit, would you come? And as you come, would you distribute your gifts just as you determine that we might point people to Jesus in his name.